my church, I'm sorry, did God really say that? Is that really in the Bible? And this morning I want to start out with a message, is my church attendance really that important? Um, I believe that some people take church attendance very flippantly. Um, it's a matter of convenience for a lot of people. And uh, so for just a few moments this morning as we start out this series and this particular message, I want to take a stroll down memory lane just for a moment. So if you'll oblige me just for a few moments this morning, I want to share a few memories about church, and then we're going to get into God's Word in a few moments. And I only brought nine pages of notes, so you should be out here by 3 o'clock this afternoon. Um, no, not really. I won't do that to you. Um, I want to see you again. Um, but let me just for a few moments oblige my memories just for, just for a bit. I loved going to church. I still love going to church. There's nothing I'd rather do on any Sunday in the entire calendar year than be at church. Quite honestly, growing up, if church was on Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday, I'd probably be there still. I love church. Growing up, church was everything to me. Not because it had to be, because I wanted it to be. I'm one of those weird ones. (laughs) Uh, I looked forward to it every week. I loved going to church. With all of its imperfections, I loved going to church. My fondest memories are going to church, are going to church. I was one of those snotty-nosed bus kids in the day when bus ministries were huge and thriving and every church had to have ten buses like ours. In fact, when I was 15, I had my own bus route. Uh, when I turned 16 and I could drive, I loved going out for three, four, five hours every Saturday morning, seeing who we could get to come to church. Because church made an impact on my life. Uh, I don't know where I'd be today without church. And I don't know where some of you would be today without church. Um, But I loved riding on the bus as a three-year-old. I thought it was really cool. I wanted a bus. I didn't know what I'd do with it, but I wanted one. Uh, I just thought it was really cool. Mr. Simon's driving the bus every week and double-clutching that that shifter and so forth. I just thought it was cool. But God used church in my life to make me who I am today. Um, I loved father and son outings. Most of my childhood, my dad was in the hospital, as you've heard me say on occasion. My dad had 16 back operations and five bypass heart surgeries and foot and toe amputations and foot amputations and knee amputations. And, you know, my dad lived in the hospital. And there were men who were in my church who were very gracious Uh, Guys like Don Dean, who said, I'm not your dad, but I'd love to take you if you want to go. And through those father-son outings and honorary father-son outings, God worked in my heart. Um, Guys like my youth pastor, who was like an honorary father to me all through high school. When my dad was in the hospital, it was my youth pastor who came to me and said, Hey, can, can you, or would you, or can I, should I? And it was a very strong, prominent figure in my life because he invested in me. I loved my Sunday school teachers. I look back and I say, man, those guys were awesome. I mean, when they did the story of Naaman going down to the muddy river, I can remember very clearly how they illustrated that story and how they brought this mucky brown junk and they rolled up their pant legs and they, I don't know how they did it, but they got all their you know, legs full of this brown, gunky, junky stuff 
but it made the story come alive. I can remember the story of the five loaves and two fish and them illustrating it and bringing bread to the Sunday school class and passing it out and somehow making that story come alive and all of a sudden these 12 little baskets that were all full afterwards. How they worked and they, they sacrificed. They were committed to doing what they were doing. I remember um, them sharing the story of communion as a kid and, and illustrating the story of the crucifixion and then bringing communion to us as children, teaching us what the significance and the impact of that was and should be on our lives. I loved my Sunday school teachers. In fact, this is crazy. But the same Sunday school teachers who were teaching when I was in third and fourth grade are still there teaching today. The gentleman who taught my junior high youth class is still teaching the junior high youth class today. They are faithful. Um, It was never a matter of, oh no, I didn't get a turn out of here. I didn't get my rotation switched. I didn't... It blows my mind because that's so different than culture today and how churches run today. I loved how they made the stories come alive. I remember so many of them. I loved the instruction from all the leadership and their commitment. Um, I loved walking down the hallways of my church and seeing pastor pick up a piece of paper that was the size of a dime on the carpet. That impacted me. It's such a trivial little thing. Yes, it was. But it showed me how he respected God's house. And he wanted it to look nice. And he took the time to pick up a little tiny piece of scrap off the carpet floor. That impacted me. I loved the music in all its forms. I loved that we had a big choir. I loved that we had a strong piano organ bursting out those hymns. And I love music today with the guitars and the drums. I've even, uh, I think I woke up in a couple of cold sweats thinking my dad was rolling in his grave because we have a drum set in our church. And my son is the drummer, no less. I'm sure my dad is going, hmm? (laughs) Um, I love the disciplines that my church taught me through our ministries to read my Bible daily, to spend time in prayer to be open to sharing my faith when God gives me those opportunities. I love the instruction that it gave me. I love that my home life and church life were almost one. Um, now, I'm not advocating this, what I'm about to say, but it was the truth of my, my scenario. I went to Woodcrest Baptist Academy Monday through Friday. I had practices for sports from Woodcrest Baptist Academy two days a week. I had games the other two nights. At church in the middle, work day and youth activity on Saturday and church on Sunday. I lived at my church. I loved it. I'm not advocating it. I'm not saying that's the way it should be. But they were almost one. I loved my home church. With all of its imperfections, it was everything to me because of what I gained by being a part of it. I chose to be an intricate part of God's church. It was a choice. I didn't have to be there as much as I was. I chose to be there when the doors were open. 
I chose to be there because I wanted to grow. I know I was that weird kid that in eighth grade, I didn't like reading. Guys, can I get an amen? But I loved reading Matthew Henry's commentary as an eighth grader in my room at night. I know, weird. But I would sit and read through the pages of it just because I knew what God had for my life. And then changes came. And you can relate to these. Service times. What in the world? I mean, we have traditional Sunday school at 9.30, morning service at 10.45, evening service at 6, Tuesday night visitation at 7.15. We have structure. And then lo and behold, in the last 10 years, how dare someone put a service on a Saturday night? What in the world are they thinking? Yeah, I planted a church and we had service on Saturday night for a year because it was the only facility we could have was another church who graciously opened their doors and God allowed it to us to build a core with that group on Saturday nights. And it allowed me to be an interim pastor for a year on Sundays. I got church Saturday night and Sunday morning. I loved it. It was hard, but I loved it. Changes came. We no longer just have a piano and organ. We have a worship team, a band with drums and bass guitars and acoustic guitars and electric guitars. And some of you are like, oh my goodness, what has just happened? Change. I don't agree with it. Well, you don't have to. It's there. And then translation arguments. Bless God, the only word of God is a King James. How dare somebody bring out an NIV? And I don't care for NIV, but how dare they? Holman Christian and New American Standard, all these translations. Which one is the word of God? And then dress. I can remember going to church and thinking, I almost got away with it. It was youth night, and I put a pair of jeans on. And I was in the back seat of my mom's car, thinking, I almost got away with it. I got halfway to church, and my mom happened to look over her shoulder. What are you wearing, young man? She turned that car around so fast and brought me back to the house to change out of my jeans and put dress pants on. Anybody remember those days? Yeah. I almost got away with it one day. Middle of summer, I didn't put socks on. I had a pair of, remember the old penny loafers? I had pants, dress pants with penny loafers and no socks. I almost got away with it until mom noticed. She turned the car around and went back to the house. Get some socks on. Locations of church changes. Do you realize that there are churches in movie theaters all across the United States this morning? In movie theaters. What in the world are they thinking? They're thinking they're planning another church where the gospel is going to go out. In Rochester this morning, there are three or four churches meeting in movie theaters. And the gospel is being preached. In coffee shops. In New York City, there are what they call coffee shop churches. The door's open, the coffee's out, the door's filled, they worship, and the gospel's going out. Um, In Texas, Oklahoma, um, Mississippi, the fastest growing church in America right now 
believe it or not, is the Cowboy Church. You know what some of the newest programs in seminaries across America are? Reaching Cowboys. Funny as it sounds, they are packing bull riding arenas and cowboy stadiums with preachers on Sunday mornings. And people are getting saved. And the gospel is going out. thought I'd never heard of that one. One of the fastest growing churches in America right now. Church at a cowboy arena? Mm-hmm. Under a mango tree in Africa. Because that's where they can meet. Sizes of churches change. Anywhere from 30 to 300 to 3,000. Even Joel Osteen's church, if you can call it that, 30,000. In one place, under one roof, on a Sunday morning. Sizes change. Methodologies and philosophies of churches. We're going to have small groups and home groups. Oh, bless God, they've got heretical. The gospel's going out and the Bible's being opened and the word is being taught. Different circumstances, different philosophies. Types of churches. Non-denominational. Community. Bless God, they're ashamed of their heritage. Either that or they want to open doors for people who have an issue with the title. I don't know. You decide. How about this one? Elder-led versus congregational-led leading. Yeah, there's differences. Despite all, I love the church. I love it. They're not all for me. They're probably not all for you. But I love God's church. A few words of warning and exhortation before I get into the word just for a moment. I want to just give you eight of them. They're not the only ones. But there's some things that God laid on my heart. The Word of God must be supreme. I don't care what kind of church you have, what you call it, as long as the Word of God is supreme. Some people really get hung up on the idea of whether or not Baptist is in the Word, name of the church, or whether or not Bible is in the name of the church. As I said before, I'm first of all a believer. Secondly, I want to be a biblicist. And number three, if you make me choose a tag, I'll choose Baptist, but just don't ask me to choose it. Who are the weird ones? Let's be honest. Who are the ones with all the rules and regulations? Who are the ones that are on TV picketing for the wrong reasons? I'm a Baptist through and through. I love our Baptist heritage, and if you don't know it, you ought to look it up. Study it. I believe in it. But I'm more interested in being a believer and a biblicist than I am about being a Baptist. Number two, it's not about programs, it's about people. Can I just say, I can't keep up with the Joneses as a pastor. And the Joneses are the bigger churches down the road. I, I don't have the budget they have. I don't have the, the, the material wealth that they have. I don't have the things that they have. I don't have the programs that they have. But I know this. I'm more about people than I am programs. Programs come and go. They fade away, but people don't. You need to invest in people, not programs. If God gives you some wherewithal to do it, fine. But programs are secondary to people. 
Number three, it's not about what you get from it. It's about what you can give to it. We live in a consumer culture. Well, what can I get out of becoming a part of that church? Well, if that's your mentality, you probably won't get anything out of it. But that's the wrong focus. It's not about what I can get out of it. It's about what I can contribute to it because it's God's church. And you know what? It's amazing that God chose to work through the local church. Isn't that awesome? Let's get a life on this. God chose to work through the local church to carry out His will and functions for us as His children. Number four, support it and speak well of it. Don't be critical of it or its leaders. When we go out of this place and say, well, bless God, I didn't like the music this morning. What did you just do for the cause of Christ? Bless God, that pastor, he shouldn't have. If you got a problem, what's the biblical thing to do? Come to me. Talk to me. If I'm not the problem, go to who is. But when we're critical and judgmental of the church, we do nothing to support the cause of Christ. Number five, be an active participant rather than an idle spectator. Does that make sense? God created us to be participants, not spectators. Be involved. Get involved wherever you can. It breaks my heart every once in a while where I have someone come to me and say, Pastor, I really want to get involved. I just don't know where. I don't know how. Can you imagine being that person in a church of 30,000? Because we have paid professionals now who do that. And I just I'll tell you up front, I don't want to be a professional church. Honest to God, if I have a nine-year-old girl who's been taking piano lessons and wants to play for a church, I'm going to let it happen. Because I want children to learn to serve. I don't want a professional church. I think we need to be organized, but I don't think we need to be professional. I want God's people to get involved wherever, whenever they can doesn't mean we don't have a direction. It doesn't mean that we don't have organization. But I want God's people to learn to serve at a young age. Number seven, or six. Be a problem solver than a problem proclaimer. It's easy to proclaim what the problems are. Bless God, we should be doing this. Okay, what are you doing to help solve that problem? I've said for years... Problems are glaringly obvious at times. What are you doing to fix it? Oh, bless God, we hired a pastor to fix it. No, you didn't either. <laughs> you, didn't, you, didn't, you didn't hire me to fix your problems. I can't do that. Only God and the Holy Spirit can do that. I'm here to direct. I'm here to, as Ephesians 4.11 says, equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. That's my job. Number seven, understand this. The church is not perfect. Because guess what? Church is made full of imperfect people. It's not perfect. It's never going to be. If you know something wrong with it, right? It's because it's full of imperfect people. And can I just say this, and this is my pet peeve with people across America and churches today, too many people try to act perfect. Some people need a dose of transparency. You're not perfect as you think you are. You're not holy and righteous as you think you are, some of us. And number eight, be an encourager, not a discourager. 
sometimes people walk into church and they say one thing and it just sets them off. Because you chose to make it about you rather than about Him. Be an encourager, not a discourager. Just a few things that are going through my mind by way of introduction. Is my church attendance really that important? Yes, it is. It is. Because God chose to work and bless the church. I have friends who say, I don't need church. Maybe you don't think you do. But I think you really are misguided in your thinking if you think you don't need the church. I had a friend of mine who was a close friend. Say to me, so Pastor, I can get everything I need off watching that preacher on TV. Man, I'll... he's a wonderful teacher, probably far better than what you're going to get from me. He's got a ministry that's worldwide awesome. Kudos. But I want to ask you a question. Is that favorite TV preacher evangelist that you love to watch and gain so much from going to be there when your father passes away? They're going to be there when your daughter is sick with cancer. They're going to be there when your granddaughter wants to get married or when your grandmother passes away. They have no clue who you are. The local church will be there. Well, I can get everything I need out of a church by not being a member. You probably can. I'm not going to argue it. But it's not about what you can get out of it. It's about what you can contribute to it and what God's going to do through you. So a church, as I shared a couple of these things last October, a year, over a year ago, a church is not a building. It's not a building. So whether it meets in a theater or under a mango tree or at the bowling alley or wherever your group meets, it's not about the facility not a social club or country club. It's not a business. It's not a museum or historical record of the past. It's not even a democracy according to Scripture. The church is split at an annual meeting because I didn't get what I wanted or this group wants this and this group wants that. Nothing could be more unbiblical in my opinion. I don't even think congregationally led churches are all that biblical. That's just my opinion. I don't see where God called an entire church to make a decision on what color carpet we should get. But we've made it that because I want to be selfish about what I want. But the church is a local body of or family of Christian believers who have been baptized and have been united to carry out God's purposes and will both personally and corporately. I'm thankful that God lets me be a part of it. A small part of it. So just for a few moments, if you would take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I want to highlight what you may have already said. Well, Pastor, I know that. Wonderful. I want, to be re- I want us to have a reminder of what it is all about. It's a local body of believers who have been baptized and united to carry out God's purposes and His will both personally and corporately. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 27, it says, Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all do miracles? Do all have the gifts of healing? Do all speak in language? Do all interpret? No, they don't. 
It says you're the body of Christ, verse 27. Individual members of it. And God has placed these in the church. People who do different things. And I'm amazed, though, how God builds His church. If I had to be in the... Let me just say, as I said before, I am so thankful that we have all these little kids running around. I love them. Throw them up in the air, make moms have heart attacks. Have fun with them. Stick out my tongue at them. I love them. But if I had to work every Sunday in a three-year-old class, I'd go crazy. God has gifted other people for that. Thank you. I'm glad that God gives everybody in the church unique abilities and gifts. And together we carry out God's will. Together, both personally and corporately. Amen? He uses every one of us as He sees fit to do it. And we're reminded, let's just take a moment and read through this here. Beginning with verse 12. It says, For as the body is one and has many parts, and all the parts of the body, though many, are one body, so also is Christ. For we are all baptized by one Spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we're all made to drink of one Spirit. So the body is not one part, but many. And if the foot should say, because I'm not the hand, I don't belong to the body, in spite of this, it still belongs to the body. Just because you say I'm not this doesn't mean that you're not part of it. Let's go on here, verse 16. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, in spite of this, it still belongs to the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed, I love this, each one of the parts in one body, just as He wanted. I have jokingly said many times that some of you are an armpit. Some of you are a smelly foot. Some of you are that big toe that just won't stop growing. Some of you are hair. An eye, a mouth, a nose, a hand, a foot. But together we're one. We're one. But here's the amazing thing. I've said this before. Has any of you ever had a backache that's been excruciating? I got two hands and a foot up. I've been there. Two in the morning yelling at my wife, help me roll over <laughs> on the floor because my back went into spasms and I just it kills. Some of you have experienced that pain. Let me ask you a question. When your back aches, why does that stop you from doing what you gotta do? I mean your hands are fine. Your eyes are fine. Your foot are fu- foot is fine. So what if your back hurts? What, what does that stop you for? I mean, there's nothing wrong with your fingers. I mean, your sense of taste still works. Why does a backache stop you from doing what you want to do? Because God's Word says that when one hurts, it all hurts. Well, why does that toothache stop you from doing what you need to do? I mean, it's just a tooth, right? I mean, it's just a tooth. I mean, your back's fine, your legs are fine, your feet are fine, your hands are fine. Why does that toothache stop you? Because it's very real, isn't it? And when your tooth hurts, you don't feel like going to play basketball with your buddies. You don't feel like going to the mall and go shopping when your tooth is in excruciating pain. Because when one hurts, 
It all hurts. I mean, come on. I mean, you broke your foot. Who cares? Your rest of your body's fine. You don't feel like going to the parade and sitting down and watching the parade when your foot's in a cast, do you? Because when one hurts. And let me just tell you, when someone in this church is upset and going through a difficult time, I grieve. I'll just tell you, it hurts. And that's the way it ought to be. When I know that someone is going through a struggle and I can't seem to help them, it hurts me. I lose sleep over that kind of stuff. I shouldn't. Don't fret. Don't worry. Don't be anxious because God's in control of all these things. Right. You try not to worry when your kids are hurting. To the best of my ability, I give it to God, but when my church is hurting, guess what? It bothers me. And I lay awake at night, and my wife and I, we sit and talk, and we pray about it. And we say, what can we do to help so-and-so? So-and-so struggling, what can we do to encourage them? We lay awake thinking about how we can lift someone else up when they're down. Why? Because that's scriptural. When one hurts, we all hurt. The body has many parts and specific functions. And the body shares a sense of dependency to work in unity. And the body has no excess parts. Every part is necessary. Look at verse 22. But even more, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are necessary. And those parts of the body that we think to be less honorable, we clothe them with greater honor. And our unpresentable parts have better presentation. Every part has a function and is necessary. You know, God gave you the exact number of fingers He wanted you to have to pick something up. He gave you just the right number of vertebrae so you can bend over and stand straight and do whatever you got to do to move. He gave you two feet rather than one so you don't have to hop everywhere. You can walk in fluid motion. He gave you two ears and only one mouth, so what does that mean? Listen twice as much as you talk? I don't know. Fill in the blank. I don't know. He gave us exactly what He wanted us to have. He made us to work in unity with each other. So what is the function? Why is it important that I do my part? Because if one person decides not to do their part, it affects the whole. When you have a backache, it affects the whole body. When you have a toothache, it affects the whole body. When you have a broken foot, it affects the whole body. And whether you're that foot or whether you're that eye, or whether you're that hand, whether you're that armpit. Do your part. It's necessary to help everything flow. So what is the purpose and function? Ephesians chapter 2 gives us a great, a great picture of what that is. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 says, For we are His creation, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time so that we should walk in them. God wants us to be a part of His good work. I love what God's doing through the church. I feel privileged that God allows me to be a part of it with all its imperfections. I love it. I hope you do too. Because Christ died for it. Gave His life for it. And I want everyone to be a part of it. I want those who are outside to be a part of it. They don't know what they're missing. 
despite its imperfections, they don't know what they're missing. Do you believe that? So, what's my function as a pastor? Glad you asked. Ephesians 4.11. Over a couple of pages it says, And he personally gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some pastors and teachers. And then verse 12 says, Why he gave us. He didn't give me the, to be the pastor here to do all the work, just so you know. I'll do my load, I'll do my share. Love doing it. But here's why God brought me to this church. For the training of the saints in the work of the ministry. It's my job to train. It's my job to educate. It's my job to equip you with the tools and the information through the Word of God to, for all of us to do what God has called us to do. It's not to do it for you. So it's for the training of the saints in the work of the ministry. Then he gives us another one. To build up the body of Christ to encourage the body of Christ, to lift up the body of Christ. How long do I have to do this? Until we all reach a unity in the faith and the knowledge of God's Son, growing into a mature man with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. Until He comes. Job security. I get to do it vocationally. I wish you all could. Then we will no longer be little children tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning with the cleverness of the techniques of deceit. God has for all of us to be in the Word of God so that we'll know the truth when we know, when we hear it. I've never been a worker in a bank. Don't know that that would be good for me. I may have my hands on too much, too many bills. I'd love to try it once, though. Just, I wonder what it would feel like to feel like thousands of dollars go through your fingers. It would be fun once. Set that aside for a moment. I've been told and I've read stories about how to spot counterfeit money. Maybe you have too. But they teach bankers to know what is counterfeit by having them practice and handle what is real. So you're so familiar with what is real that when something fake comes across your hands, it stands out. We have the Bible. You want to know what's fake, what's false, what's error? Get into what's real. I can't teach you that alone. I cannot do that by myself. Someone said a while back, well, I just don't like that preacher. I don't get anything out of his preaching. Really? Because I didn't realize the preacher was supposed to feed you solely. Just kind of one of my pet peeves, so you know. That, that phrase irritates me. Because you're supposed to feed yourself every day of the week. Feasting on the Word of God. It's not my job to feed you completely. I get the opportunity to help feed one day a week. Two, if you come to some other aspect of study. But you're to feed yourself on the Word of God. And if you're feeding yourself, someone asked the question, what if you only ate physically what you ate spiritually? How nutritioned would you be? 
I hate to admit it, but I think there are those within our churches that are spiritually malnutritioned because they only eat on Sundays. Shame on us. Shame on us. How anorexic would you be if you only ate spiritually what you ate physically? Or physically what you ate spiritually? Spiritual anorexia filling our churches across America and around the world because it's the preacher's job to feed us. No, it's not. Not solely. We're to be in the Word. We're to be students of the Word. We're to be studiers of the Word according to 2 Timothy 2.15. Study to show thyself approved unto God. A workman need not be ashamed. Rightly dividing the Word of Truth. There is so much in God's Word about the church. But when you became a child of God, you were called into a relationship with Him and into fellowship with Him and His believers, His children. Fellowship. 1 Corinthians 1.9 says, God is faithful. You are called by Him into fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. How important is it that I do the work of Jesus Christ as far as fellowship? You need to be a part of it. You need other men. Can I just say, you need other men. You need other men in your life. We need to be faithful in the fellowship. 1 John 1.3 says, What we have seen and heard, we also declare unto you, so that you may have fellowship with us. Indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. How's your fellowship? Do you have it more than just Sundays? You need the body of Christ. And can I just say this? Regular gathering was an assumed practice to the early church. Just assumed. You're going to be there. Acts 20, verse 7, On the first day of the week we assembled to break bread, and Paul spoke to them, and since he is about to part the next day, he extended this message until midnight. Acts 20, verse 7. He said, you need to be a part of the body. I love being a church. I love being with God's people that make up the body of Christ, the church. I love talking church. Both as an adjective and as a noun. I love it. I hope you do too. Turn your Bible to Hebrews 10 just for a moment. You know where I'm going with this, but I'm going to bring it out anyway. Verse 25. Actually, let's go back a couple verses. Verse 23. Let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us not be concerned about one another in order to promote, in order to promote love and good works. I love, uh, I love what King James Howlett puts that. We are good at provoking one another. Some of us are better at it than others. And you know what I'm talking about. It says let's provoke one another to love and good works. Not anything else. I love what it says in the King James here. Provoke. Stir up. But in the home it says not... I'm sorry, verse 24 says, and let us be concerned about one another. Are you concerned about one another in the body of Christ? Are you provoking one another in the body of Christ to love and good works? 
are you encouraged or encouraging one another to be faithful to God's church? I love to be here when the doors are open. That's why I said it irritated me. I felt a sense of guilt when I couldn't be here on work day. So, well, preacher, it wasn't church. Right, but it was the doors were open. I wanted to be here. I felt guilty the entire day I was gone on work day. I should be there. It's God's church. I wanted to be a part of it. There's so many of us, we're satisfied with showing up on Sunday morning. You say, well, Pastor, do you believe that I need to be here every Sunday night too? You really want my answer? No, I'm just kidding. It's between you and God. But I'm going to be here. Is it the only time you should be fed? No. You should be feeding yourself every day in the Word. I'm just saying I love church. I love being with God's people. I love studying together. Then it says not staying away from our worship meetings as some habitually do, but encouraging each other and all the more as you say the draw, see the day drawing near. Question. Just putting it out there for what it's worth. Are we living in end times? I, I personally think we are. Do you see it? I personally think we are. Now, can I say legitimately that there are people who have been saying that for hundreds of years? Yes. But I think we're nearing the end. I don't know. That's just my opinion. I don't have a death wish, but I look forward to heaven. I think we see the day approaching. There are parts of our country right now who are, that are that it's just, you look at what's going on, you say, wow. Never thought I'd see that in my lifetime. What's going on on the world level, on the world scene? I never thought I'd seen that. What we're hearing, what's happening to believers around the world, maybe that needs to happen in America to get us on fire. I don't want it. Neither do you, by the way. Anybody look forward to persecution? No. I don't want it for me. I don't want it for my kids. I really want a life of ease, just like you do. But it may be what God is going to require of us to stand up for what we believe. Persecution may come in our lifetime. We're standing for the truth. And just so you know, I'd rather stand together as one in the body than one outside the body. I think we're stronger together. Do you believe that? I think we're stronger together. I'd rather be united as one hundred than one. I love the body for that reason. We're together as one. Something bigger than ourselves. It says, don't forsake the assembling. If I'm gone on vacation, I miss being here. Anybody else? I'd rather be in my church than anyone else's church. Don't get me wrong, I love to see what's going on in other churches. I think it's unique to see what's happening there. First thing I do when I go into another church is I look at the auditorium. Hey, this is cool. Go check out the, the brochures on the wall to say, oh yeah, we should be doing that in my church. Yeah. I love seeing what's going on in other places, but I love being here. Every year, every pastor I know, at least most of the pastors I know, get invitations to go to other churches. Happens all the time. So, pastor, are you interested in coming over here? (laughs) It happens all the time. Happens to me two, three times a year. Would you consider? And I keep saying, I love my own church. I love it here. 
Why would I leave this church? You know, let me just kind of put you in that inside secret behind what goes on behind closed doors. Pastors. Pastors don't leave because everything's perfect. Did you know that? So when there's an opening down the road at that church or across the state, that pastor didn't leave because everything was just awesome. Even though that's what's presented. You see, the average stay of churches and pastors across America is about 18 months to two years. See, in the first year, you're trying to get to know the people. In the second year, they're still trying to get to know you. In the third year, you're trying to figure out whether or not you want to stay. No. I know what our issues are. I don't want to learn them again at another church. I know our people. And I want to see God do something great here. I love my church. It's not perfect. And I know that for one main reason. I'm not, and I'm part of it. And a little secret, you're not either. I see your imperfection just like you see mine. But we work together to glorify God. And can I just say this? Some of us need to work a little harder to get others in. I've said it many times over the years. I got seven more pages of notes. I've said it before. What would happen if God, if we would just cry out to God and say, God, give me a person that I can invest in? God, open a door with my neighbor. Help me to build a relationship with my coworker. Help me to deal with that relative who needs Jesus. God, give me wisdom. Give me discernment. Give me an ability to, to present the gospel and, the, and, and influence them for the cause of Christ. I'm not talking about every one of us going out and reaching the masses. I don't think that ever happened. I don't think it's reasonable. I don't even think it's a, a logical exp, uh, expectation. But I don't think it's illogical, and I don't think it's unreasonable that God would give us a person to invest in. Every one of us has a sphere of influence. Every one of us. Every one of us has a handful of people that we know and talk to. Every one of us has a neighbor or a friend that we have built a relationship with that needs Jesus. You've heard me say it a hundred times over the last five years. We build relationships to invite people to the most important relationship with Jesus Christ. If we never open our mouth, shame on us. It takes time. Investments take time. You're investing into relationships to invite people to the most important relationship. Is your church attendance important? Yes, it is. Because God has placed you not on accident, but by purpose to fulfill His will. And God has chosen to use the local church to do that. There's so many things in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 I wanted to highlight. But every member is different from the other member. We all have different roles, different functions. Verses 21 through 26. Every member needs each other. You need each other whether you admit it or not. You need each other. I feel bad for people who don't have a local church. I do. I feel bad because they're missing out. They miss being a part of something bigger than themselves. You know what? Let me just say this. I think I also see this in 1 Corinthians 12 towards the end of verse 20, 26. Every strong member should help protect the weaker member. Who are you helping? Who are you an, an encouragement to? 
Who are you blessing? Because you can. Not because you have to, but because you can. Every one of us are busy in our own way. Anybody not busy? You have nothing to do in life, right? That's not the real world. Every one of us basically live a busy life. That's the culture we live in. But amidst the busyness, who are you investing in? Who are you being a, whose life are you a part of? Can I just say, I, God has never allowed me to minister in the vicinity of where my family lives. Can I just say that? I tried my hardest for years to find ministries that were looking for ministers where my family lived. And God never opened up that door. I don't know why. Now opportunities are there and I don't want them. But when I wanted them, I couldn't find them. God didn't open those doors. And I say that because I'm thankful because in the ministries that God has placed us in, He has given us people who have been encouragement to my family. My kids have more honorary grandparents in this church that they're closer to than the actual blood relative. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that God has given us relationships within our body, our local church body. And my kids will cry hard when, they, when, they're not, when, the, when that influence is gone. I'm thankful for that. Because some of you have invested into my family. And vice versa. Every member does something unique in itself. Some of you are eyes and you see what's going on and you address the need. Some of you are hands and feet. You do whatever it takes to get the job done. But according to verse 18, God has placed every one of you where he saw fit to put you. Are you doing what God asked you to do? I think it's a fair question we all have to answer. Not all of us are going to be doing the same thing, thankfully. All of us do different things. You're gifted differently. But the question is, are you not doing this or that? The question is, are you doing what God created you to do? Are you doing what God has asked you to do? We're really good at noticing what so-and-so is not doing. They should be doing this. Are you doing what God asked you to do? That's a question that needs to be answered. So is my church attendance really important? Yes. If we're going to carry out the work that God has called us to? Yes. We need all the people doing all the things that God asks us to do to point others to Jesus Christ. What happens when a member decides that he's not wanted or doesn't want to feel or doesn't feel like he wants to fulfill his role? Well, body doesn't function properly. Backache, toothache, foot, broken foot, you fill in the blank. The body doesn't function correctly. What happens? The body is weakened. Productivity slows down. We don't function. The body doesn't fulfill its purpose. And when, one, and when there's a part of the body that doesn't feel wanted, they don't feel like they're important, they decide they don't want to do what they've been called to do, the body begins to have division. 
And God's word is clear that there should be no schism in the body. Is that a fair statement? I think it is because it's scriptural. God doesn't want us to have schisms or division. It's amazing to me that over the years, and you've seen it if you've been in church over the years, none of this, I'm almost done. We've all been in church long enough to see that so-and-so got irritated and they left the body of Christ. Well, that pastor did this, or that person did this. But what it always seems to turn into is, that church is, that church did, that church is, really? Because I didn't think the whole church did that. It was that one individual who was acting foolishly. And if biblical forgiveness is practiced, that changes everything. And it's broken my heart over the years to see so-and-so leave because of what one person did. Where is biblical confrontation? Where is biblical repentance? Where is biblical forgiveness? If so-and-so did it, then deal with so-and-so. Don't blame the whole church. Let's do our part to make it right. And if you're not part of the problem, you're really not part of the solution yet. The person who's part of the problem is part of the problem. They need to be dealt with. say, well, that's hard. I don't like confrontation. Really? Because if you do like it, something's wrong with you. Just saying. None of us likes confrontation. If you do, something's really messed up in your head. I like a good fight. No. Reconciliation is a biblical thing. Restoration is a biblical thing. And it ought to be practiced correctly. Too many of us make assumptions at times rather than getting it straight from the horse's mouth. We need to be biblical about it. But when someone decides that they're not wanted or that they're not needed, that they don't really want to be a part of it, division sets in. Sometimes bitterness and hurtfulness. And the whole body hurts. The whole body hurts. Every once in a while, someone will say, what happened to so-and-so? Give them a call. Ask them why they're not here. And rarely is it that individual. It's the church did. That's sad because it breaks my heart. Is your church attendance really important? Yes, it is. Because we're called to be something bigger than ourselves. And when we function properly, God is glorified. And when we function selfishly, we miss the opportunities to receive blessings from God and Him building and working in His church. I know I gave you a hodgepodge this morning. I still have six pages of notes. We're not going to get to it. It's okay. Can I just leave you with this thought? Are you fulfilling the role that God has called you to fulfill as a healthy member of the body of Christ? I realize that not all of you are part of this local body. That's okay. Wherever God has for you to be, are you fulfilling your role there? Are you functioning the way God wants you to function? Because you're needed. No single unit can do it by itself. A foot needs their other foot. One hand needs the other hand. It's amazing how two eyes work as one to see what God wants you to see. 
It's amazing how the back needs the muscles around it. The spine needs the muscles. It's amazing how the heart needs the blood. Everything functions as one to fulfill what God has for you to fulfill as a part of the body of Christ. And when we choose not to do that, we're missing the blessings of God as a church. We're missing out on what God's trying to do in and through us. We're forfeiting His blessing. I love the church. I hope you do too. I hope you love each other. I hope you're not just enduring each other. Because let me just say, some of you, you irritate each other. Because you're imperfect people. Like, I am imperfect. Like, you're imperfect. That's where God's grace steps in. Despite your disagreements, despite your thoughts and opinions, despite what you think is perfect or imperfect, God has called us as one. I hope you can see that. It's all throughout Scripture. God loves unity. Does it mean we're not going to have disagreements? No. Because we will, and we do, and we will have more. But hopefully we can work and function together to get where God wants us to be. And I'm so glad that God has you here to be part of it. I'd rather be a part of no other body than this one. I love our church. I'd just soon be here for the rest of my life than anywhere else. Even though it's in New York. Just saying. <laughs> Let's pray.